0: Hi friends, before I jump into this week's episode, I just want to say thank you for being a part of this series on principles here and abroad as we have celebrated the stories of principals around the world. Listeners who I've corresponded with, who have shared their stories with us. If you've missed the previous episodes, please go back and listen to conversations with principals from Australia and Ireland and Xi'an, China and South Africa, and today's guest from Singapore. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to connect with principals here in the States and around the world. If you have a story that you would like to share with me, please reach out to me at my email address at will at williamdparker.com. As always, you can connect with my resources at my website at williamdparker.com. Also, just a heads up that in this week's interview with Principal Jessica We. I failed to turn on my mic, and so you're going to hear some fantastic feedback from her, and you're going to hear me talking just directly through my laptop mic, so the audio quality won't be nearly the same as it usually is, but you're going to find some amazing takeaways from Jessica's story. Thanks again for doing what matters, and I'm looking forward to sharing this interview this week with you. Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 243. Hi friends, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about grace in the leadership journey with my guest, Jessica Wee. Jessica Wee is the principal of Rainbow Center Yushun Park School in Singapore. She has previously served in the school as vice principal, before taking over the principalship six years ago, her school serves 400 students with autism and multiple disabilities. And Rainbow Center School aims to nurture young persons with disabilities age 7 through 18 into adults who are able to live independently and interdependently, to grow continuously, and to engage in active participation and contribution to the community. Her goal is to serve the underprivileged, but she realizes. She is on the receiving end of much grace through this leadership journey, a firm believer that everything rises and falls on leadership. Jessica continues a humble journey of self-discovery as a leader. Jessica, we welcome to Principal Matters podcast. It is such a privilege to have you here. Can you fill in the gaps on that intro and tell listeners something else they may be surprised to know about you?
1: Thank you, Mr. Parker, for having me in this podcast Um, First, I'd like to have a warm greetings from the tropical island of Singapore to all principal and listeners in America. I'd like to say that it's an honor to be invited by Mr. Parker because i benefited so much by listening to your podcast and reading your book. In In fact, the first book that I picked up was the book written by you, Principal Matters. And it really helped me to calm my soul in my first year of principalship. So thank you so much for your insight and uh, sharing. Yes, oh, I'm, um, just to share a little bit about myself, I actually did not start off as an educator. And I, I have an MBA and before I went into teaching. So my first career was in marketing and product development. I, I did the mid career switch so that I could spend more time with my family. And I'm trained in Montessori. And uh, so I, I have the experience to... Teach in the early childhood um, setting before I move on to the community colleges. But for the past 14 years, I have been in the special needs sector and it has been an unbelievable growth journey for me as a leader. And I am very grateful for my experience in the commercial sector because I, I realized that many people who work in the special needs sector has a very big heart. They have uh, full of compassion, and so I realized that with my training in commercial sector, I was able to balance the heart and the hate in running the school to ensure outcome for the students and the families.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for your positive feedback as a listener and as a reader. And, and congratulations on that transition from the corporate to the nonprofit. I know that there's a lot of people out there who have transitioned into education from something else and others who it's been their entire career. And so I know that's given you a special perspective on the work that you do, Jessica, tell us some more about your school. I think one of the things that intrigues me the most is that you lead such a a special group of students. So what are the challenges and opportunities of leading Rainbow Center?
1: Okay. Rainbow Center serves students from the early years to 18 years old And the students that I serve um, have moderate to severe ASD, GDD, and multiple disabilities. So we can't offer the mainstream curriculum. So we offer an outcome-based functional curriculum. We are supported by the teaching team as well as a multidisciplinary team of therapies, psychologists, and social workers. Now, because it's an educational setting, our allied health professional work closely with the teacher to achieve educational goals. So it's not a medical model that we go by, it's an educational model. So a lot of parents, when they come to the school, they would ask for, when am I going to get the therapy session? You know. So we, we state that right up front, that we, we work with an educational goals in mind. And, and it's very important to work closely with the allied um, health professional to do that. And each student has an IEP plan which covers six domains, functional, literacy, numeracy, daily living, which is very big, social, emotional, and we also believe in physical development because exercise in any form, whether it's for, the, for a child in wheelchair, in posture care, is very key. And uh, social, emotional aspect of it, especially for, for a child with ASD, is also very important. And vocational, for those who are able to go out and be in a, in, work in an employment setting, that, that would also help them. So yes, leading a school close to 400 students with, with disability, it does present quite a few challenges. And the first thing in mind is confirm is a safety challenge. Because you have 7 to 18 years old kids congregating in the same space, and, and meltdown is very common, especially when puberty kicks in. You know, we do see an increase in, in, in the challenging behaviour, which requires um, quite a lot of in, intensive intervention. So, so safety is number one in the school. And I always tell the teacher, if we cannot ensure the safety of the kids, no teaching and learning can take place. And the second challenge that we do face is burnout. Burnout of the teaching staff. Because as we serve a spectrum of kids that has moderate to severe disability and the teacher may not be able to see the fruits of their label immediately. In fact, someday they may not even get any response whatsoever from the child, you know. So it requires a lot of patience um, to, to serve this group of this profile of kids. But each day, it if you're if you're handling challenging um you know, behavior students, it's almost guaranteed that you will get hit. You know, and 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 this is really not the best environment to work in so the burnout of the teacher is pretty high and we are also mindful of that
0: so wow. for us to
1: yeah so this is the two areas that constantly in my mind and has always been an areas that I, I put in a little bit more effort to look into
0: yeah well what I love about what you already said Jessica was first of all the the six criteria that you try to use when developing the education of the child, everything from their their safety to their um, occupational and vocational opportunities. But I was thinking about how important all of those are for the whole child experience, whether a child is disabled or not disabled. But then I'm I'm also thinking about how you apply that to your staff because in your staff you have these high expectations for student-centered learning that takes a lot of energy and a lot of um, a lot of patience, especially if if you have students that are having meltdowns or or you have teachers that are going to be in situations that sometimes where they may get hurt. And so um, so I know that must be quite a challenge for your staff as well as balancing that caring for the kid, but also caring for the staff. And I and what I appreciate about your leadership is you recognize that that this is the constant tension of safety for kids, but also supporting the teachers in such an important place any thoughts on that
1: one thing that we do in the school is I, I call it the wow moments you know not forget to celebrate small little successes because in in our in our setting you are not going to get the 100 the percent marks or a grades that we can celebrate on so i always invite teachers look at your classroom teaching and if the child just make and utter that statement and respond to you. That is the wild moment. And we make a big hoo-ha and we make a big deal about it and we celebrate at the teaching team level and at the contact time level. You know, We bring it to, to, to praise the teacher and this is a wow moment that I I felt it, it means a lot to the teacher because this is an achievement that, that only among our, our own fraternity if we recognize that then it gives encouragement to the teacher because mm. we we those
0: moments to, to kind of push us, you know, and push us on. Yeah. Yeah. Those wow moments are the ones that we live by trying to rehearse those. And, And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll ask leaders to think about what is the, what is the thing that happened today that moved the needle in the direction that you want to go. And so sometimes at the end of the hardest days, it's rehearsing those wow moments, even if they're small ones. And sometimes you have a small one and sometimes you may have more than one, but rehearsing those can, can give you motivation. I also know that you've been leading a school uniquely, and this is one of the reasons why I began this series on reaching out to principals abroad, because we've been all sharing something in common this past year, not just educating our kids, but also educating them through a pandemic. And so Jessica, give us a sense of what that's been like for you all this past year. And I know there's a lot to unpack when it comes to a year of managing school in ways that never have happened before.
1: Oh, yes. So in Singapore, um, the first case was around um, January last year. And I must say, I I really thank the the Singapore government for supporting the schools. They were very fast in supporting the school community with safe management measure. And so we have our uh, school closure around April last year to curb the spread of COVID. And all schools shifted to full home-based learning. Now, with with our our profile of kids, it's not easy to, to be teaching online on an online platform. So when with that announcement, we scramble, you know, in the shortest time, I I believe all school does that, you know, to to develop a HBL plan for for parents. And I must say the parents are totally not thrilled about it, okay? And and they keep questioning, why why am I going to be staying at home with my kids? You know, they are not even able to sit in front of the computer and you want me to, you know, be teaching my child. So I must say it was very challenging communicating with the parents. So the first thing, we needed to have a structure ourselves all right, to, to get us going for the HBL. And um, we have assembly program that we immediately converted to video and, and we shared it with the parents. We set up what we call a Google Drive, which is a HBL Google Drive. And we put all the resources there for the teaching staff, for the parents. And the first thing that we did was really about equipping we need to equip the teacher. This is not their normal mode of teaching, so we need to get them and offer them using Zoom, using all the Jamboard, all the whatever online platform needed to teach those profile kids that are able to use the online platform. And definitely, we do have um, a huge category of our students unable to benefit from online learning. So we did a lot of physical resources, and I actually stand by my school bus transport vendor. Can you get ready, delivered all over Singapore, you know, those physical resources? Because it is really meaningless for those kids that are unable to access the my platform. So with the parents, and I must say, it was quite a a surprise that um, we have caregivers learning to switch on the computer, you know, place our child in front of the computer. And we were so glad, you know, to see our, our, our multiple disability kids on wheelchair in front of the computer. That was really a surprise because this is a category of students where we felt, oh, uh, unlikely they're you gonna know, appear in front of the computer. But with the support of the parents and caregiver, we were able to have, you know, at least a social engagement with the child for one or two hours, you know. And we do our, you know, story time, you know. So 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 quite a good experience, I, I must say. Um, not the best, but it's definitely. Um, I think one of the greatest takeaway was really a structure um, that was established with the family. A lot of time, we usually get family collaboration close to the child um, graduation year. You know, when 17, 18, the parents would start wondering, oh, what should I do? You know, you know like in between from 7 to 18 uh, to 16, they will say the school knows best. School can handle. (laughs) So when it comes to uh, HBL, the family was so actively involved, and we were so glad that we were able to get to know the families better. And we have created a a structure that we could continue even um, when the circuit breakers uh, ended. So that that was something. What a
0: what a great thought, and Jessica. You know, when you think about parent involvement before COVID and through COVID and after COVID. Um, you said something that I've not really thought about before, which is the active engagement of parents in their students' learning, um, and how that might influence future learning. Because you're right, there's there 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 was a shift when parents suddenly became a part of the delivery of their students' learning, or engaged some of them working from home so their ch- children could receive instruction. And of course, I'm assuming um, this conversation was with parents who. Who were engaged because we know there are also students whose parents were not engaged, but with those who were engaged, it did take them into another level of, of involvement in school that maybe they had not had before. And so uh, some of the questions I keep asking myself through this entire pandemic is what what do we want to hold on to, from this that's been so valuable, and then of course what are we looking forward to getting back to, that we've lost as well. And so um, and so as you think about that experience, I'm just curious what are some of the things you're hoping you can hold on to from this experience moving forward.
1: Um, like We we, we categorise our students in three profiles. The profile A's are the one um, that the disability is a little bit um, not so severe and they can actually be moving into um, what we call a flipped classroom teaching. So we did that and it was supported by the parents as well. And they could actually appreciate, in, in fact, then they become more actively involved when they see their kids you know, learning online. So that is something that we want to continue to do. So for the profile Cs, we do need to tread a little bit more carefully because it is something that the parents are not comfortable with. And and to be be fair to the parents, the students are not able to benefit so much from online learning. But with the resources that we brought back to the parents during the the HPL period, we realised that this is something that we want to continue. Right. It's so-called homework in a special needs setting. It's not common. You know? so, so something that we, we we spent four hours with the kids in school, but there are lots of learnings that we, we felt we can continue even at the home setting, especially in daily living. So what we do is exercise, for example, physical exercise that we do in school. We put it into video and we share with the parents and we say, you know, on a Saturday, Sunday, right, especially with those with ASD, routine is very important. So could you just switch on that video and do the exercise with your kids? And also it's from this experience that we, we, we continue the video lesson. We continue to share the parents' video lesson and and also daily living. We, we felt that things that we've taught them in daily living, cleaning, grooming, we wanted to put it in into a little bit more structures uh, and visual support to be given to the parents as well to continue. And... And, and I thought that these are things that uh, it, it's, 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 uh, I don't want to miss out even after this whole pandemic is over, which I hope will be over soon.
0: <laughs> oh, so do I. Well, Jessica, I also want, before we wrap up today's conversation, there's a couple of other questions that I want to ask you that are connected to your own leadership experience, too. Um, before I do, though, I wanted to give you an opportunity. If there were any other lessons from the pandemic that you wanted to touch on.
1: Um one areas that uh, you know we we of course we have to wear the mask in the pandemic and for students with disability we were the first thing that i thought is oh the sensory issues you know how are we going to keep the child you know to put on a mask you know and and that was something we were like okay let's do it slowly and of course we do our task analysis and we we kind of break it down how do you wear the mask how do you do your hand washing and all that i must say I was very pleasantly surprised that close to 60% of our student population were able to do so, other than those uh, with a little bit more uh, medical condition. So it's really about uh, intentional teaching and modelling it. And and that modelling is definitely there because the the adult has to do it and you give the why to it. And I was really very surprised by by the students who are able to put on the mask for the whole four hours in the school. So that really gave me um, encouragement that sometimes I I have to think, not put the disability in front of me whenever I want to teach anything new. So that that, that was something that we share even among our teaching team. Let's let's not let's not think about the, uh, the the disability of the child, but look at the teaching and break it down and and really. Do it with fidelity and be persistent, and surely we will we will get there. So that was that was good learning for
0: me as well. Wow, what a profound experience to have that many students percentage wise to be able to adapt that quickly, and and what a great lesson for you to learn to look um, beyond the disability to the possibility of what could happen with each of those students too. Well, Jessica, uh, this is in principle matters. I I really love to hear leadership lessons from your experiences, too. And so I know the pandemic has just been a pressure cooker for all of those experiences that you've had as a leader. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, what what lessons have you learned in leadership that you try to keep in mind for other leaders? Because sometimes listeners to the show are veteran leaders like you, and sometimes they're aspiring or new leaders. And so I wanted to stop there for a moment and just ask you, what are some lessons that have helped you and your leadership that might help other leaders who are stepping into this role themselves for the first time?
1: Well, in the school setting, uh, I, I must say that um, many of the teachers started off um, as a teacher. So they come into a special ed sector with the heart to serve. So by nature, they are very patient and compassionate. You, you have to be you know to be able to serve in this sector. But because of that, we do see people as they move up their their, their corporate level to take on leadership position. Um, It is sometimes challenging for them to acquire those set of people skills because it's a different set of people skills. It's no longer um, compassion and compassion is just not sufficient. And the struggle to balance care and candor, I must say, uh, has been a major challenge for for my leaders in in the middle management. And, one, and, and I must say, at one point, I was sometimes quite frustrated because I, I came from the corporate sector and this was like, well, if you're a leader, you have a certain expectation. You, know, you lead in a certain way. So it, it was only after a few years that I realized that I need to do people development. You, not everyone is born to be a leader. And it has to first, of course, start with myself. So I was I was more intentional about my own growth as well in terms of development and growth. Then I look at the development and growth of my inner circle. So I was intentional to cut out time for leadership conversation, getting them to read, you know, not, not about teaching. You know, teaching is, is, is like the, the thing that they would do, but it's really about leadership books and leadership concepts and talk about challenges, really managing conflict, you know, and, and because they're compassionate, usually they will be very accommodating, nothing wrong with that but there are times where, you know, you need to rise up to the occasion and, and put accountability there, which sometimes can be quite challenging for them, so I, I realised that I needed to carve out time to be a little more intentional, to walk the journey with them, and I must say in this whole journey, I learned as well and grew myself as, well, uh, as well as a leader, So
0: so that was nice. Mm, what a great lesson. And I like how you categorize leaders as mental management, understanding that tension that, that leaders feel because you're right. There's a responsibility to the care of the students that you have, but there's also the responsibilities that you have for the administration of policies and calendars and expectations from parents and all those other things that happen. And so I, there's there's a, I really like the balance that you presented between compassion and accountability. I think that's a really good thing for leaders to keep in mind because you have to have the heart, but at the same time, you also have to have the skill. And so in, in, in one of the things that I think is so powerful about your example, Jessica, is your ability to groom leaders into some of those skill areas that maybe they didn't have before. Thank you for Thank you for sharing that. Any other thoughts on that before I ask the next question? Uh,
1: it, it's still it's still an ongoing journey. I must say, it's still is it, it's, it's not easy for for them, and it, it's uncomfortable. You know, sometimes you need to be vulnerable, and and as well, and and I see op- authenticity to be important as well. If you're authentic about sharing, not only your success. In fact, I I like to share my failure more with them because through this, then you realize that it's okay for us to make mistake, and and Let's learn from it. So this is something that is not comfortable for a leader. And I then started off realizing that as well. So, so that is really a, a, a continuous journey for all of us in the leadership mm, journey. Yeah.
0: That's powerful. Sharing your failures as an opportunity to help others understand how they can learn and grow from theirs as well. Well, the last question I wanted to ask you, Jessica, is some of your own self-care practice, because as I've been talking to leaders about my new book, Pause, Breathe, Flourish, Living Your Best Life as an Educator, it's always so helpful and intriguing for me to just hear other leaders' experiences because we're all growing there too in those areas of self-reflection. So what are some of the ways that you care for you so that you can stay inspired to care for your school community?
1: I love to breathe walk. I'm a foodie, so I love to eat. And, And in Singapore, Singapore is a food heaven. Right, you should come. All right, when the border is open, right, a bowl of noodle, dark chocolate, whenever you you have it, that that will put up my day, you know. And and before COVID, traveling is one of the things that I would do almost every year. So I can't wait for the border to open, and I'll visit you, Mister Parker.
0: <laughs> I oh, do. <laughs> please do, please do. And, well. and
1: um, yeah, and reading God's word uh, is very important for me. Right. Um, I'm an uh, avid reader, and one of my favorite authors is Brene Brown, and I really love her books. And I listen, of course, to your podcast and many podcasts out there and the tech talk. That helps me to rejuvenate and really look at things, not only in the education setting, but other uh, settings as well. I practice self-care, praying daily. Reflection is also very important for me. I, I believe that any experience without reflection, in fact, is quite meaningless. And But sometimes I learn, and, and, but after a while, I learn to be kind to myself. Because when in the reflection, sometimes I get panic attack. Because I say, oh my goodness, after the reflection, I realize there's so many areas to improve, you know, and there's so many gaps. So I, I started to say, okay, let's be kind to yourself, you know. After the reflection, let's take one thing at a time. So so that that is something that I, I need to be a bit more aware of.
0: Well, Jessica, we, it has been such a privilege to connect you with Principal Matters listeners and to talk to you across this video format as well. And one of the things that we started off this conversation with was how your work with your school community has taught you to lean into grace because your students and your teachers and the challenges that you face teach you a lot, too. So I wanted to just in today by first of all asking you to share ways that leaders can stay connected with you and then finally give you an opportunity just to share a final thought on on your own lessons in leadership and how leaning into grace has helped you.
1: I really started off by thinking I'm serving the the underprivileged and it has really been um, uh, a growth journey for me not only as a leader but also as a person and I, I have arrived at a space where I can say I am an incomplete leader and I'm okay with that. And I know that I will always be an incomplete leader. And in fact, it's very liberating to, to have that thought because then I realize then I have my strength zone and I should continue to stay on my strength zone and then be able to start to appreciate people around me because then they compliment me to make up the best team but if, I, if if I don't arrive there, then I'll be continuously thinking I have to do better, you know, but you can't be, you can't be good in everything. So, so I'm at this space where I'm, I'm happy um, in what that I'm what that I can do well, and I'm starting to appreciate more about people around me and to be able to groom them to be operating at their strength zone to complement um, each other. So, so that's, that, that's a nice place to arrive at, um, at in, in
0: my leadership journey. Oh, I agree. And just to repeat something that stood out to me, Jessica, was the acknowledgement that being incomplete in your leadership is okay. And understanding, you're right, understanding that others actually complete your leadership. You never are ever a complete leader on your own and that's so powerful well, what is a way that listeners can connect with you how can they find your school if they want to go online or if they want to correspond with you Jessica how can they reach out
1: yes um, you can visit the Rainbow Center website all right uh, www.rainbowcenter.org.sg all right we have our website and I'm happy to also hear from the listener what are some of the things that they have learned in their leadership journey I'm happy to learn from them as well
0: Well, Jessica, we thank you for the work that you do every single day with your students and your school communities. It's been such a privilege. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for taking time this week to listen and learn together because what you do matters. And we'll talk to you next week. You can find other free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.